Hello and welcome to our podcast series Inside Impact Investing. My name is Hans Tegeman, Chief Economist at Triodos Bank. This season I'm diving into the concept of economic transformation and transformative investments. By talking to different thought leaders, I want to find out what is needed to make our economy more sustainable and how to finance the transitions that are needed in society. From the energy and the food transition to a more regenerative economy and a more equal distribution of wealth. Thanks for tuning in and joining me on this journey. Today I am talking to Ingrid Robijns. Ingrid holds the chair of Ethics and Institutions at the Ethics Institute of Utrecht University. She is specialized in applied and non-ideal ethics and political philosophy and works on the development of normative frameworks, theories and methods. She just finished her new book with the title Limitarianism, the case against extreme wealth, which we will discuss in this podcast. Ingrid, welcome. Before we dive in all the details on wealth and uh, limits, let's start with a more detailed question you dedicate your book to all activists who are fighting against injustice yes yeah why well we have a number of big crises in the world and i think two of the most important ones are the ecological crisis multiple crises but also socioeconomic inequalities that are increasing and we just know from history that If you have big societal challenges you need activists to change something you so, you also need leaders in politics, in business, and you sometimes need intellectual input. But mm -hmm. without activists, almost nothing will change. Yeah, yeah. And they make a sacrifice. The difference is that you and I, we have a profession in which we can dedicate our yeah. professional life to trying to improve the world, but they basically do that. Some even pay with their lives or with their health. So Yeah. So that's that's another kind of sacrifice that we talk about if you talk about limits to wealth. So this is more a personal sacrifice. Yeah, 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 yes. And the other thing what I really appreciate about activists is that they see themselves as co-responsible for the world, whereas what we've had, of course, under neoliberalism is that the dominant ideology has tried to tell us that we should be consumers or workers yeah. or It all in these economic capacities. Yeah. Whereas what activists do is they say, no, I am also a political person. Yeah. And that I think is what we absolutely need to rescue the world from all the the problems that we are having. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm immediately thinking of all kinds of things I want to ask <laughs> on and, and say, but let's let's first go to your new book, The Case Against Extreme Wealth, if I'm correct as yes. the title. And you have been working on the topic already for years on what we call limitarianism. As an introduction, can you just tell the main things about this idea and how yeah. it works? Yeah, so limitarianism is the idea that we should strive to have a world in which the amount of personal wealth that a person can have is limited. Mm -hmm. So that means it's basically this symmetrical opposite from a world without poverty. It's a world without super rich people. Mm -hmm. And limitarianism then thinks that this world is a better world. And in my book, I give all the reasons why I think such a world would be a better world. And also that it's just uh, the only just world because extreme wealth concentration is, according to my analysis, unjustified, immoral. Yeah. And before we, we, we discuss how high it should be, 
you also explain in your book the, as you say, the the reasons why it is immoral, mm-hmm. and also where you started with it, we have a big ecological crisis. So it, you relate it to all those problems, saying mm-hmm. saying extreme wealth is morally, is ethically unacceptable, ecologically yeah. unacceptable, and it also corrupts society in the end. Yeah. If you say that to people, what response do you get? Yeah, so the, the, the reactions that people have are, are extremely diverse. So there, there are people, also people in different countries that basically say, yeah, yeah, I've been thinking this all along. But you also have people who just think I'm, I'm, I'm a nut. <laughs> Why do you mm-hmm. say a nutcase? I'm, I'm crazy. That this is just a ridiculous idea that it's impo- not only impossible, but also undesirable. And the fact that we have reasonable people, thinking people who have those extremely opposite views, I think just suggests that we have to have a conversation about this. And the conversation, if you, my idea why it is so difficult to discuss limits is at least what I experienced is that people think it completely normal that you can have unlimited private property. Yeah. And that has to do with the kind of economic thinking we have, the society Mm -hmm. we have, where we accept that people can have anything they want. Yeah. So when I started to work on the question of limitarianism, I was was really working on it from political philosophy as a theory of justice and also Mm -hmm. in welfare economics as basically as the question, just like we have a poverty line, can you have a riches line? So does that idea make sense? But when I wrote this book, I had to really look into ideology and I use ideology as a, as a scientific term, so mm-hmm. not as a pejorative term. And there, that's actually basically what you're saying. So the idea that we could accumulate capital or private property endlessly, we just think that is normal. And the fact that, 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 we, that most people, not everybody, most people think this is normal and that we are no longer questioning it suggests that this is the, the dominant idea. And I think that's one of the claims that follows from neoliberal uh, ideology. Yeah, I, I think we agree too much, which is not so interesting maybe for the <laughs> listeners, but let's <laughs> let's go further. One of the interesting ideas in, in, in your book and in your research was also to try to find what is that limit in, in numbers. Mm-hmm. And so you, you did research in the Netherlands and it was, yeah, you know, it, it was two points... in 2018 prices. Yeah, and then two houses. Yeah, so basically we had this empirical study which gave vignettes. So basically descriptions of the material quality of life. And then my colleagues who do uh, economic sociology and statistics, they estimated how much the monetary value of such a lifestyle would be. And in the UK it was different? They didn't have a number. In the UK, the UK study... And these are the only two studies that I know of that really yeah. try to get at this idea of a riches line. They wanted to find out also, just like in our study, whether it makes sense because it could have been that the respondents in their qualitative study and in, in our quantitative study might have said, listen, guys, this is crazy. There is no such a thing. Yeah. But what we found for the Netherlands is, although people disagree where to put that riches line limit, almost everybody agrees, yes, there is a limit. So that I found in itself, even though we can argue about where to put the limit, very interesting. But that richest line is a descriptive limit. It says at some point of of wealth accumulation, if you have more, it really doesn't add anything to your quality of life. And that's something else than the political or the moral claim that you shouldn't have that money. You also say, but okay, but maybe I think it should be 10 million. 
and say, yeah, because it should also be, I think your reasoning is also be politically feasible to, to, to have. So, and then still you say it's not absolute, but we should discuss it, right? Or Totally. So I would have preferred not to give a number in my book, but then people might have said, oh, yeah, yeah I agree about a limit. Yeah. Let's put it at one billion. Yeah. So actually yeah. in the U.S., There are many people who argue there shouldn't be billionaires and you have all these proposals to tax billionaires. I just think that is just crazy. Like yeah. a billion is 1,000 million. It yeah. is way too much. Yeah. But then the question is where then to put the limit? And I think in the end, that's a political decision. So people should have debates about this. But to avoid that the book would be read by, that people would read something completely different in it, I do propose two, two limits because I think there is a political limit that should try to be the outcome of the way we organize society. So a taxation, but also how the economic institutions are formed and so on. And there is, and I propose that that limit is, would be at 10 million. And I can, I can argue, I can explain why I come with that number. But I also just think that there's a moral limit, which is what in daily speech we would call voluntarily. Mm -hmm. So basically What should you, as you're, as an individual, think you should keep? And I think there really, the upper, upper limit should be one million. But if I've written this as a, as a writer to have a debate, yeah. but personally, I just think a million is already way too much. Yeah. I mean, I don't know whether, actually, I do now know a number of millionaires and, and multimillionaires. They invited you to talk about this or not? Yes, actually, they now also are contacting me, but I've also tried to reach out to them. But most of my friends and family and also myself, we have, none of us has a million per person and we all have very good lives. I don't think you need so much money. So I also do think that the whole question about when is it enough? That's a question all of us should ask, but we should also ask it as a society. And what you also say in the book, and what there's, I think, also research about, is that that these kinds of norms or or limits are dependent on culture, are dependent on your own position, which is kind of contradictory, uh, but that happens also. But especially it differs from countries to countries. So if you have better basic uh, services, if you have free education, etc., then can also say the limit can be lower. Absolutely. So I actually think we should have many more public goods and basically a restoration of something like a welfare state like we had it in the 70s. And then we don't need so much money. So I wrote the book basically for an international audience. And that means that if Americans read this and they think, okay, a million, my whole pension is in this uh, fund. So they will think, no, but I need much more. Yeah. So you decide to exclude pensions, right? Yes. So I, I, well, for, yes. So I, in the book, I say, this is what in a country like the Netherlands, I think we should have as upper limits. Yeah. Or I give it as an input in discussion, because of course we have our pensions. We do not perceive them as part of our personal wealth. Yeah. Maybe another Critic. So, so you get critic, of course, from people say, yeah, but why should we have an, an, uh, an upper limit because it's our own responsibility. But also some economists give you comments like it's not efficient to have a limit, right? So yeah. if you, so it's better not to and do it and then you can show in your model that it's not efficient to have a limit. But is that relevant in terms of a moral argument? No, for morality, it's not relevant. No. Well, For morality itself, it's not relevant, but of course, we, uh, as uh, political philosophers, we also look at 
what we call prudential value, so basically yeah. well-being. Yeah. And there, the, the the mainstream economists would argue, if you have a 100% taxation, then basically the pie will shrink. Yeah. So you shouldn't. So yeah. they come up with yeah. what is the optimal, the so-called yeah. optimal, optimal taxation, taxation yeah. theory. Yes. Yeah. But I think uh, one thing that happened in these, uh, yeah critiques that I received from mainstream economists is that they just thought, okay, limitarianism means 100% highest taxation rate on income taxation. And they didn't bother to read what I had written on this. So I, it should be said that it has been proposed in the past. So in the second world war, the American president proposed 100% taxation rate, but the argument was very context dependent. His argument was that there were American families that were sacrificing their sons in Europe to fight yeah. for freedom and against the Nazis, and that it would be wrong that those who were staying in the U.S. would make this huge profit from the world war economy, and hence we should have a 100% yeah. exchange rate. Of course, that's a special circumstance. But I wonder, is the climate and biodiversity crisis so different from a yeah. war situation? Yeah, you, so you. <laughs> I think morally speaking... Given all the signs we have, but that, of course, many parties and individuals deny, I think we could make exactly the same argument now. Yeah, you you have a chapter in your book, I think it's called Dirty Money, where you say a lot of the wealth, the sources of a lot of the wealth is, well, at least Suspect, quest- yeah, questionable at least. <laughs> where it comes from. Yes. And... It's not for all. So if you listen and being a millionaire, it's not about you, of course. But in general, uh, as it's also about tax evasion. And that's the other side, I think. On, uh, on the one hand, you can say, okay, if you have something, what's fair to have, yeah. like we discussed. On the other hand, it's what's fair to get and how do you get it? Absolutely, yes. yeah. And I think that's also an interesting part of it. If it's difficult to discuss a limit... At least we can discuss where it comes from. Yeah. As an academic, I write, of course, also just like uh, we have economic analyses. I write yeah. boring, dry stuff. Philosophers are just the same. At least my my tribe of philosophers, analytical philosophers. But I wrote this uh, book for a broad audience really to try to stimulate debate among citizens. So one of my, my strategies, if you want, writing strategies was to have a lot of examples. Yeah. And I really, it, it requires for me... an bit of a new type of writing and a new type of research, but I found all these fascinating examples of people who really just show us what needs to be done. So for example, in the case of, uh, in the UK, where just like actually in the Netherlands, there's a lot of money that generations back was uh, acquired from the slave trade. There are families now that are trying to trace down where that money got from, and they are doing something similar to reparations. They do it then with community funds that that will benefit the whole community by trying to generate uh, sustainable economic activities. And so the same, and that is, of course, a quite striking example. If the money you have is kind of tainted with the blood from labor from enslaved people, that's like almost as bad as as it can get. But of course, if you have a, a big fortune and it's largely accumulated because your ancestors did a lot of tax evasion. Yeah. It's as problematic. Yeah. And, and for example, Marlene Engelhorn, the German-Austrian uh, Harris who 
who has said that she has inherited two-digit millions from her grandmother, so something between 10 and 99 million euros. She has also said, I, I shouldn't have this money. Yeah. So what she did is she founded this uh, organization called Text Me Now. Yeah. And she's, well, I think she's, she's an, activist. an activist. She, yeah. did, she did, When I interviewed her, she, she actually denied this. Yeah. She said, no, 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 I'm not an activist. The activists are in the streets. And, yeah. But I thought, no, my definition of activism is more expansive. I think she's also an activist. You just see that there are people who just have our kind of, I would almost say free in their head. They're, they can think beyond what neoliberalism wants us to believe. They must start to ask these questions. And, and, and if you would, so I was thinking, reading also that chapter and also thinking about the economy. The only way to get a lot of wealth is to have a position of power, of economic power, whatever position. And and then you can extract or then you can use your market power like our current billionaires just yeah. by having a platform, uh, so, so Facebook or whatever, a platform where you have a, a monopoly and that leads to, to extreme wealth currently, also due to how financial markets work. Yeah. And you could... Almost in any case, so I cannot think of any other case almost, it's almost more power than standard neoclassical economics would assume that can happen. Yeah, but what about, say, a case like uh, G.K. Rowling, who just had a bestseller? Yeah, you have unique I mean, talents. They, they, yes, no, uh, yeah. I totally agree. They're totally, yeah, total the, exceptions. The, the real, the, 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 the yeah. billionaire. Yeah, so yeah, in, yeah. The, in the millionaire category. She's a billionaire. Yeah, she's, she's also a billionaire. Yeah. yeah, and you have uh, football players yeah, who yeah, can yeah. also earn a lot. So yeah. I just think yeah. these people are, uh, so I, yeah, for, I think for different groups of yeah. super rich people, yeah. different arguments yeah. apply. Yeah, yeah, yes, but for right. almost all of them, there are arguments why they shouldn't have that money. Yeah. And for some of them, the arguments are morally weightier. So the ones yeah. you give. Yeah, I, I agree. So it's it's not always about being extractive. It's also being using your talent or whatever in such a way that being you... Being lucky. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, of course, the question is, yeah, being lucky, I think, is really a, an, an enormous factor in our lives that we tend to kind yeah. of deny. Because yeah. that's one of these features of neoliberalist thinking that we both blame those who yeah. are badly off for their position. And we think that those who are successful, that they have earned it themselves. Absolutely. And one of those, the, the way you get lucky is if you have money and you invest it, uh, let's say in the last 20 years. Yeah. And then you get even more lucky without doing anything. Yeah, yeah. And but they still call it, my money is working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're not working. And, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that's true. And, and maybe let's, let's go there a, a little bit. Of course, we. I work at a bank, and I'm also wondering what what's the role of the financial system in in all of this? Because part of the wealth people get it's it's not always the source of the wealth, but mm -hmm. it's what what amplifies it in a lot of cases. Yeah. Or what uh, and the financial sector serves rich people much better than poor people mm -hmm. because rich people get their own private banker or whatever yeah. and make sure that they get more wealth and uh, so. At least the financial sector helps extreme wealth, wealthy persons to become richer. Yeah. Is there a moral obligation also within the financial sector to do something differently or to, to address this? Yeah, so, so the problem is that if we talk about money, the problem is, of course, the international mobility. And yeah. I don't know whether the financial sector has the 
the kind of internal power to self-regulate because I'm an outsider. No, they don't. don't, (laughs) So I do think what, what we then, what we really need is, so one of the big problems, for example, there, there are several, but one is tax havens. They should just not exist. It could not exist if, if all, all countries would agree that they would close them or that if they would still exist, that they would, as soon as money comes out, that they would tax it. So you would just punish, you would have have to have enough countries and enough big countries that agree to do this. So I do think there really is a role for politics in more firmly regulating the financial sector. That for me is definitely clear. I don't know whether, so the financial sector, so of course, let them just start with not accommodating the dirty money. Yeah, that would that, that would be a I start. mean that is yeah. already and then yeah and that but that would already make quite a big difference and just yeah. really ask if money is coming where does it come from? So I don't know I'm kind of it may be my kind of outsiders <laughs> and naive perspective on banks but I have yes we have a couple of ethical banks but I if I'm rightly informed they have a small percentage of the market share yes, right? Yeah at this moment yes yeah, yeah. but it's so the problem, so the the pro, so I believe I don't believe that uh, all people are good. No, I pe- pe- yeah. I think pe- the incentives should be. Uh, so you don't agree with uh, Rutger Brecht? No, well no. I don't I don't know exactly what's in his book, but I do believe that we have a well. I mean, my book is full with examples of people who do bad things. Yeah. So I yeah. do think we really need the structures, right? And I don't yeah. know. So I don't know whether there is a possibility from the financial sector to basically agree that they should have the right structures. Yeah, yeah working at an ethical bank, I, I still think there's a role within the financial system what you can do. What we, for instance, do on executive pay mm-hmm. is we say we have also an upper limit. That what uh, so all yeah. we, we invest in listed companies. We look also at the CEO pay. What do we think is acceptable? We have a certain threshold. I don't remember by heart if it's one million to now it's higher. It's maybe seven million because otherwise we cannot invest in U.S. companies. If it's too high, according to our standards, we also look at the compensation package. What do they get? Why do they get it? Yeah. And we also exclude companies where we think it's unacceptable. And that's what we did, for instance, with Tesla, because everybody expects three of those uh, uh, to invest in Tesla. We did for a while. But then we had two problems. We didn't get any answers on the supply chain. Where does the cobalt come from? And the other one was... Elon Musk is one of the richest yeah, persons. No, and he's dangerous. That's the uh, that's other thing. problem. That's <laughs> we were just discussing the executive pay. Yeah. And that's what we try to do. We also give an example. You can ask questions about it, at yeah. least as an investor. And I think the second one, what we try to do as, as and still, you're right, a small bank, is to say, okay, should we serve people with extreme requests? Why should you have a mortgage of 5 million yeah. euros on a house? Because it helps if you have a lot of wealth. It helps to also have loans because you can shift your money around. Absolutely, and yes. should we accommodate that? That's so, a good question. So you yeah. can also within your normal business, and it could account for every bank that you can make different choices. It's only one problem with it. It sometimes hurts your own <laughs> business model. But I think that's also a morality within the financial sector that you yeah. could say, okay, should we? We can do it, yeah. but should we do it? So, so, I, I, so this is really interesting. So I think... But then what holds for the financial sector holds for any profit-seeking company, and that is you shouldn't try to maximize 
profit seeking. You should try to weigh all the different interests and you should just not get yourself into a position whereby you will have to maximize profit seeking. There was also a recent Dutch case, but the case of, uh, that I discussed in a book that's internationally well known of Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia. He deliberately made sure that the structure of his company was such that he would never have to listen to the shareholders. And so I think that is, of course, a kind of a precondition for not just banks, but all businesses, that you should try to basically protect your freedom to be able to make those trade-offs between the shareholders' interests and all the other interests. Yeah, absolutely agree. In in a previous podcast, we discussed it also with Jennifer Hinton about limits to profit and at least weighing all the interests of all the stakeholders. And that will in turn lead to the fact that not one person can be extremely wealthy. Absolutely. If you create value, also financial value, it's also about how you distribute it within an organization. So I think that's one thing that can be done. Let's spend a few minutes, we can do a few minutes on solutions because we have talked a lot about problems. Um, You end your book, if I'm correct, with nine solutions, more or less, if you count. I don't know if you count, but um, that's what I did. And say you were. and we have elections in the Netherlands. Um, you win the elections. You have the majority, uh, and you will be. And, and we also change our constitution, so you all <laughs> also can't do anything you I want. I become the benevolent dictator. The benevolent dictator. Yeah. And the first day you're in office, what are the three or two things that you're gonna do about this problem? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, so the nastiness about the problem is that lots of it is international. But of course, this is often used as an argument to do nothing. So I think what should be done is really to take initiative and also as a country to be prepared to take some of the pain for that initiative. So that is certainly something that I think should be done. And there should also be an initiative taken to try to set up something like an international tax authority that -hmm. can make sure that, for example, we don't have this profit shifting between companies and also that there is a place where disputes can be addressed because what what was in this tax report that came out a couple of weeks ago is that this new legislation that I actually discuss in my book as already kind of a positive sign that if you have, uh, that they pay 15%, that there are already all these attempts at trying to find loopholes. So we must find ways to combat loopholes because otherwise the government, who should be the representative of the people, always is like one step behind those that try to change the system. And then there are smaller things that a government can do. For example, one of the striking statistics that I discovered when I was writing my book was the cases from Austria, but it could be, I assume, any other country, that uh, social fraud was estimated to be 14 million euros, whereas fiscal fraud was estimated to be between 12 and 15 billion Billion. euros. So I just think we need much more capacity to check uh, tax returns, to uh, deal with fraud. And so basically not let the super rich people get away with it. Because one of the interesting things that I discovered is when I talked about about limitarianism in, say, circles of people who have some power, they always say, no, but the super rich, you can't get them. And they, and, and that's the end. Like they, yeah. Then they yeah. say, let's try to see whether we can raise taxes a little bit on the, the kind of rich, but not super rich. And they just think it's impossible. Mm. 
But you know, that is just like, that to me is mind blowing that we, we kind of give up on the possibility to democratically regulate and control what the richest people in the world do. So in your first day, you're going to try to collaborate internationally. You try to, <laughs> yeah, I, went to, I, went to, I was thinking you would introduce at least a higher inheritance tax or wealth tax uh, uh, yes. or wealth gain tax. That, uh, so yeah, we have to start somewhere. Uh, yeah, but the thing with, so, so the thing with the uh, inheritance, uh, the, so it depends on for which country you, <laughs> you point me as the benevolent dictator, because there are, of course, countries that not right now don't have any inheritance tax. So you could immediately bring yeah, it to 40% yeah. or whatever, yeah. like in the Netherlands. Uh, in the Netherlands, I would do something about uh, one particular loophole in the inheritance tax, which is that companies or incorporated yeah. money escapes inheritance. And I agree about a wealth tax, but there too, I would think that it would be better to really kind of have a bit of more pain for a couple of years, but set it up for the for the for the, for the future yeah. that we can avoid this international tax avoidance and capital mobility. Because if we don't tackle like the kind of the heart of the problem, this is just going to continue. Yeah, it's a long, hard day. I think your first day. Um, <laughs> um, yes. Your international book will be published later. Yes, in February first. Uh, yeah. In the Netherlands, it's the end of November. Yes. So, all oh, please read it, and it's really also to think about it and start discussing about extreme wealth. And also, in her first day, Ingrid will not have the final solutions for it, but it's the start of a discussion. Thank you, Ingrid, Thank for you being for here. having me. And thanks for the discussion. And you listeners, thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify to make sure you don't miss any updates. And as always, we are happy to hear your feedback. Until next time. Bye.